Welcome to Their Very Best, a podcast where total amateurs make wild proclamations about the work of expert professional musicians, despite having no actual qualifications. I'm Bill Noto. And I'm Waldron Faulkner. Thanks for joining us for wild, unsolicited opinions about morphine. I guess with morphine. Let's go with morphine. So this is the part two episode of morphine. And we're super excited because we actually have Jerome Dupree and Dana Colley with us tonight. Uh, They heard our episode one and observed some errors and they had to... (laughs) We hunted you down. I was contacted by my legal department, so the flags were up everywhere. They felt compelled to get in touch or we got in touch with them I don't remember but here we are I blame uh, the marketing department for reaching out to Dana and being like hey we did this episode <laughs> it was interesting to, to hear it from your perspective though because I think it, it really came from people who just are hearing the music you know and when I think of songs that I know or music that I love I don't necessarily know who the trombone player is or you know who's on the on the record i just i just love the music and that that came through right on well i i need to start off with a giant apology to dana because i that was one name that i did not drop and during the episode and i caught it while i was mixing it down and i couldn't believe it and i thought of maybe recording one of those tags up front saying oh my god i can't believe we did this thing and we didn't mention dana collie who's the sax player for morphine and I didn't do that because because I wanted to goad you guys into maybe talking with us live, and my stratagem worked. Well, it takes a big man to admit that he's made a mistake. <laughs> it, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, and I've made them uh, similar ones on, on many occasions. Well, Dana, just to finish up the whole corrections and errata, I wanted to outline a couple of the things that you pointed out. One is that I said that Mark Sandman played a fretless bass, fretless two-string bass. And you told me it wasn't fretless, and that surprised me. Well, in some ways it is. And in fact, the instrument had frets, but they were obsolete. Okay. Mark had a a very tall nut at the end of his bass, Mm -hmm. which brought his strings way, way off the the fretboard. And then because he used a slide, it wasn't Hmm. important. He'd have these dots on his neck of his guitar that he, like in fluorescent orange gaffing tape or something and he would put those on the the fifths and the octave or whatever however those guys do it but whatever those dots mean he would have them on his guitar. so slide not threatless and that explains why i had it wrong hmm. yeah but your ear was right The other error I made, and this was not, <laughs> this one is, I think, most embarrassing to admit. Sharks patrol these waters. Sharks patrol these waters. We were talking in the episode about um, how you uh, frequently play two saxes at once. At times. And I speculated that maybe this was one of those situations where, you know, if you've got the fingering for the one and the finger of the other, and if it's an alto and a berry in there. Swim pitched the same way, you could just kind of play and it wouldn't be that hard to do. I, I think you said it, yeah, you said it was easy, Waldron. You, <laughs> you compared it to playing a, t- a guitar behind your head, which, you know, occurred to me like, 
your fingering hold on, is the hold on. same. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're absolutely, again, once again, you, you were not wrong. It, it is, on a good day, it is easy. It really is. But don't you have to, like, don't you have to, like, mirror the fingers or, like... This particular thing that I did was using a baritone and a tenor saxophone, because that's what I had, but the baritone and the alto would be the same key, and, and that's right. a really cool sound, in fact. But um, hmm. for morphine, I use the baritone and tenor. Get a fifth there. Exactly. So you get that. If you're the same exact figuring, then there is a, there's a natural fifth happening, so you... Huh. Sharks patrol these waters. But how can you get the same fingering when, I mean, wouldn't you be using fingers in odd places if you're going to do exactly the same fingering on You'd both instruments? You'd have to find the note, yeah, somewhere else on the horn. You're only usually a half step away from something different and something that might work. So you just kind of play around with what notes you have available and, and see where those notes fit. And then, of course, you have the brilliance of Sandman who wrote around what those notes were capable of. Mm. Uh, last question about playing two at once. Did you have like one mouthpiece rig or did you try no, to get two separate mouthpieces that were independent of the instrument? So you could put one instrument down and play the, the other if you wanted to. It's like that Monty Python thing that, you know, that how to learn a flute. Right, Jerome? Yeah, you blow into it and run your fingers up and down the outside. <sighs> <laughs> well so this is part two of the episode and that covers three albums only one of which jerome is on so i've invited jerome secretly while bill wasn't listening to make his picks on whichever albums he, he wants i'd love to hear what your favorites are from each of these last three albums or whichever ones you want to talk about And I guess, you know, the conceit of, of our podcast is that like we decide what their very best is. And I'm still willing to do that, even with you guys sitting here. <laughs> um, you know, we have that uh, up front where we admit that we have no qualifications yeah. or really no business doing so. But I might do it anyway. Don't sell yourself short, though. I mean, you know, it is your podcast after all. I had my chance and I let it go. Well, um, so I guess we'd start with the album Yes. 1995. 95. 12 songs on Yes. All right, Dana, I'm going to ask you, man, what do you think? They're very best on the album Yes. I would have to say, to pick three, I love I Had My Chance. Okay. Uh, free Love and Sharks. Okay. So Dana, I'd love to hear, Bill does this to me all the time. He's like, you know, hey, you know, say some, try to say something intelligent about this song and why you like it. And um, he <laughs> catch, catches me off guard all the time. But I, I wonder, like, why you like this one best. I guess because I remember recording it. We did it li live in the studio at KCRW. Oh, really? Uh, Santa Monica. There's a little bit of a story attached to it. We... Did the se session, had a great time with 
It's on the show The, the Morning Becomes Eclectic with uh, Chris Theridas, is it? That sounds right, yeah. Forgive me if that's wrong. Any, at any rate, we got a cassette tape at the end of the session. Billy Conway on drums. Phil Davidson doing the sound. It, they allowed us to use our own sound engineer, so he's, <laughs> he's working whatever thing is being broadcast. He's got his hands on it. We got the cassette back and, the, and we're listening to it in the van and Mark had gone with another driver and this song came on and we all looked at each other and said, wow, this sounds really great. This could be a, an album cut. <laughs> of course, we knew that if we had said that to Mark, it would have been the kiss of death. So basically the next day, you know, he said, so do you guys listen to the tape? But how was it? And we said, you know, it was okay. You should probably hear it, you know. But the end of the story is, you know, Mark got in and he got to listen to I Had My Chance. And he turned around and looked at us because he always sat in the shotgun seat and said, you know, kind of his eyebrows went up and, yeah, that sounded pretty good. What do you guys think? You know? And uh, yeah. we're like, yeah, yeah not, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> we're just trying to downplay it, but we're like, I think he likes it. I think he likes it. It's awesome. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Jerome, what do you think, man? Do you have a, a pick from this album or from any one of the albums? I wrote down uh, from this one, I wrote uh, Whisper, oh, yeah. All Your Way, and Gone for Good. Go with Whisper, dude. Yeah, here it comes. If that's okay with you, Jerome. Sure. That was my pick for this album, too. This way I don't have to override anybody would be embarrassing for everyone <laughs> mostly me Waldron you don't have a v there, there's no veto tonight <laughs> <laughs> or any night don't worry I'm not looking at you gorgeous dressed in blue and that's you Jerome is that you on drums oh. or Billy that's Billy well I'm not on any of this I just always really like this song see I can't tell sometimes you know, both Whisper and All Your Waves to me just have great grooves. Uh, Gone for Good, I just think is one of Mark's best songs. Um, I loved it in uh, Two Days in the Valley. Jerome, when we were listening to the first couple of albums, we noted that it was sometimes difficult to tell the difference between you and Billy, and I assume you won't take that as an insult at all, because um, he was an amazing drummer. <laughs> what do you think? Are we far off? I mean, I guess if you're listening, you can tell. Like, when you're listening, Billy, probably you could tell. T Billy's a drummer. No, no, no. I, I can't tell, actually. So, but I think that says probably more about my own whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a similar approach. I'm probably a little busier overall than Billy is sometimes, but we did a two-week tour with uh, both of us playing hmm. um, in the spring of 99, and I regularly got schooled by him on how to do some of these songs. Same thing with Orchestra Morphine, too. You know, we were sort of struggling to figure stuff out sometimes live, and I can remember a couple of times we just sat down and nailed something, even if I might have recorded it, it didn't matter. He knew how to translate it. 
That's pretty interesting that you toured together. Like, would you share the stage on the same night or like yeah, playing different? Yeah. Songs? Would you play song? Would you have two drum sets set up? Yeah. Well, we set- had drums and then sort of auxiliary percussion. Um, sure. Billy took a cocktail drum and some other things. So it was, it wasn't necessarily two, you know, kick snare hat setups, but mm-hmm. both guys could play with two hands and a foot mm-hmm. if they wanted, or you know, the, the second guy could just play percussion sure but no where it started was um you know we had finished or we were still working on the night and i want to say mark called me like not very long before new year's and said you know we're doing this show in chicago would you like to come be a special guest and i was like sure and that went really well. I mean, we didn't, we rehearsed a little bit. We played one gig at the Middle East for a friend's birthday. And then we flew to Chicago and it was all very casual. And the reception was great and we had a really great time. So then later on in the springtime, they had this two week tour. And Mark said, you know, would you like to do that as well? <laughs> and I said, sure, once again. A lot of really fun gigs on that tour. My first time on a tour bus, believe it or not. And uh, second gig was in Cincinnati, which was my hometown. So oh, cool. that was fun. Lots of friends and my first drum teacher, you know, got to come out. That's amazing. Yeah, the whole thing was great. And there was talk. I mean, it was, you know, it was never like, okay, you're in the band again, but there was talk about touring more in the summer. And uh, of course that all went by the by. You mentioned a minute ago cocktail drum. The description of um, who plays what on uh, the album The Night includes this mention of cocktail drum, and I wasn't familiar with what that was. Could you explain kind of what, what that is? Well, in the probably in the 50s and 60s, when uh, quote-unquote Latin music was making a big splash in this country. Uh, Stand-up drum sets became sort of a thing. It was also just for playing little lounges and stuff where there wasn't necessarily room to sit down on even a small kit. Right. So the idea was a really big tom-tom, you know, like a 14 or 16. They tried to divide them, you know, there was a pedal on the bottom head, and sometimes they tried to put snares on the top head. Hmm. Oh. But it was always pretty funky. What Billy did when he um, first started playing with Tudor Wright, um, they played a club in Cambridge where they wouldn't allow uh, drums. So he came up with standing up and sort of creating a drum set out of what was available to him. That's cool. So when they did allow it, he went and found this cocktail drum, which was just a giant tom-tom. He took out the snare unit. And so it was basically just a, I think, 30 inches tall hmm. by 16 across hmm. wow. double-headed drum with a bass drum pedal on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that became the main drum in True to Right. And the bass drum, the bass drum pedal is going up and down. Yeah, the pedal, the pedal reverses. I mean, you play it, you still step down on it, but yeah, the beater's going up rather than forward. Right. But yeah, so he continued to use that um, basically in that manner. And that was part of the secondary setup. 
was a master at that. I'm never going back. One night, um, got to play with Trita Wright on very short notice because Billy's father was ill and he had to leave town. And he called me like four o'clock, five o'clock, said, you know, we're playing the plow, the drum will be there. You've got it. And they know you're coming. And so I had to show up and <laughs> A, figure out just how to set this thing up. But then, I mean, I knew all the songs. I wasn't worried about any of that, but playing the cocktail drum was a, that was, <laughs> that was quite a the uh, learning curve. On a gig, first time ever, yeah, I would say. Well, I mean, I think I'd messed around with it, but no, I'd never played it for that duration. And you think, you know, as a drummer, you think, okay, I've got two hands and a foot so I can sort of do drum set stuff. But two things, A, your left leg starts to go nuts because you're basically standing on, on your left leg, leg to right. be able to play the pedal. And two, if you're not really careful, you hit the drum and the pedal at the same time and they just cancel each other out. Oh, wow. And you'll get, you'll get nothing. Huh. So you really can't, you really got to be careful. And I mean, I had a ball, but it was, was a learning curve and made me an even bigger fan of what Billy did in that band. And hmm. I mean, he always did, you know, he was an amazing drummer. Um, one of my all time faves. I'm never going to drive by your house. Yeah. Sorry. I, I digress. No, it's, it's really, it's really cool to hear about your own. We should, you know, we lost Billy this past December, and uh, yep. he was a, a unique individual, someone that touched a lot of us deeply. And, you know, if you were ever in the company of Billy Conway, you'll know what I'm talking about. The, he, he made you feel very, very much uh, heard and seen, and uh, we miss him greatly. But his contribution and his musicianship will never be another Billy Conway. He's one of a kind. So... Rest in peace, Billy. We love you. Yeah. Thanks, Dana. That's beautiful. So, next album, Like Swimming, which for a long time was my favorite Morphine album just because it's got so many amazingly great songs on it. Maybe, Dana, you can tell us what your one or two or three favorite favorites are from Like Swimming and... and Choose one. I got buttons bursting in the air. I got apple orchards everywhere. I got grapes swinging from the vine, swinging in a line, lined up in the sunshine. <clears throat> I love hanging on a curtain. Oh, cool. um, swing it low is sublime. You know, and these aren't the songs that maybe get the most attention, but um, and I love wishing well too. Well, I'm willing to say that Swing It Low is the, is, I'll call it my favorite. I'm not going <laughs> to continue with this conceit about their very best in the company of you guys, but like Swing It Low. You, especially you. I love it because it's so different. It feels like it's the transition to the night, the next album, the night. It's got such a mood to it, you know? Well, it's, it's classic Mark Sandman, you know, he did it all. Probably at three o'clock in the morning after everybody left. That's what it feels like. Kind of up close on the microphone and I'm right here. coming up with this little groove and he may have looped and then just went to town. The other that we could go to is Wishing Well, which I think is a more, it's definitely got, you know, 
a more of a morphine feel to it. It's more, yeah, band at work. Do you want to play that? Yeah, in a minute. I'm just enjoying myself. Don't <laughs> rush me. <laughs> or else it's going to be a part three. Right. In my household with my wife and son, occasionally we play a game called I Confess, where it's like, oh. I confess I ate the chocolate chips, okay. or I confess <laughs> I finished the whatever. But um, my I Confess for you guys is I was very familiar with Cure for Pain and not familiar with the other albums. And so this is like amazing to listen to these tracks with you. And this is my observation about your band. Um, the people who are fans of your band are like super fans. Like there's no yeah. one who's like, yeah, Morphine's okay. Like anyone who likes Morphine loves Morphine. Yeah. And that is interesting. It's a nation, part of the Morphine Nation. Morphine kind nation. of It is a a familiar thing. Yeah. In a family way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, people who got the music felt that there was a connection to to Mark and to the band. And Mark had a way with the audience. He had a very unique relationship with the audience. People really understood that and felt that, Uh you know. I want to invite Jerome to make a pick. I'd love to hear like what your favorites are from maybe from one of the two earlier albums that you were on. Well, Boina to me is sort of the quintessential uh, morphine song. But it's also, it's very special for me because as I remember it, we were going to start recording, say, on a Wednesday. So we went in on Tuesday and set up. And after we got sounds and everything, Paul Colbert said, do you want to play one just to see what it, you know, how it's translating? I hear a voice from the back of the room. And we played that. And when we got done, Paul kind of went, well, you got that one. Um, Not wrong. And as far as I know, that's the version. So I think we did play it again. But for me, there's stuff that I did that I wasn't even, I was just totally in the zone because I wasn't aware. I mean, I knew the tape was rolling, but it wasn't like, okay, we're recording now. You're not trying hard. Yeah, I was just playing live and I was just totally in the zone. And a couple of things came out that I was sort of like, okay. In some ways, that's my best recorded performance of almost all the stuff I've done. And uh, when I turn people onto the band, I'm like, listen to that tune. If that doesn't get you, then, you know, no problem. But that to me is the best place to start. I think that's the song that like turned me on to Morphine. And I'll just, I'll tell you, Jerome, that it's been really fun to play along to that song, actually, after doing this the first episode, Waldron and I, you know, got back into listening to Morphine heavily and then was playing along to that one. It's so fun. I had an approach and I had certain touchstones, but it was never identical. And at least in terms of that version of Buena, the two, there's a hi-hat thing in between the verses where I let it ring. It's coming to me. It's coming to me. That was totally in the moment. Now I, I think I know what it is. 
and then later in that same verse there's like a little roll on the hi-hat I know and both those things just came out of nowhere yeah Jerome's playing on that song is has always been a Rosetta Stone from beginning to end the sound that Paul Coldery got on drums at Fort Apache on two-inch tape in Jerome Dupree at the, at the drums at the height of his pissed-offness which translated beautifully in the music and, uh, and it was captured in a way that was just had was on fire you know There's also, there's um, another tune, um, I think it's All Wrong. All Wrong. It's All Wrong, yeah. During the uh, something flips the switch and I collapse inside. I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I can't figure it out. I would love to hear just the drums from that. I mean, I can sort of get it, but I can't think what the motif was or how I orchestrated it. There's this... There's just something that happens. I mean, I, I love it, but I'm I'm always flummoxed by it. I have no memory of what I actually played. <laughs> it's a great sax solo too, right here. Is this a wah wah? I mean, so yeah, it's basically patched back through with a wah wah pedal in between the output of the recorded track goes out of the board into a wah-wah pedal and then back into the board recording on another track. Coming up right here. Here it comes. Something flips the switch and I collapse <laughs> That's cool. You dropped the you dropped the roach in the middle of the fill. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's all wrong, all wrong. That record, especially, um, I had already actually left the band, and Mark, to his credit, sort of asked me to do them a favor and record. Reluctantly at the time, but now I'm I'm really glad I did it. I went in and recorded, but my attitude was sort of like. You're going to get what you're going to get. I was sort of loaded for bear and right. didn't want to take much direction and, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, that probably set it up to be a more pure form of expression. Like you had possibly, yeah. I mean, it's you, you had some feelings to express. Were you? Yeah, it certainly gave things uh, an edge. And, huh. you know, it was very quick. I think I did everything that I did in a day and a half, two days, maybe, maybe three. Wow. That's outrageous, dude. We just went in and did it. And there weren't multiple takes of anything, you know, two or three at the most. Can we talk the night now or? Sure. So I'm going to declare it uh, the very best of these last three. And this is where I would say, try to say something eloquent about why. Try. Why don't you try? Well, let me put it this way. And I wonder what the these guys take would be on this but like I would consider like the first two albums I call that badass morphine 
And then, especially like swimming, I call that um, lighthearted, tongue-in-cheek a little bit. I don't give a shit morphine. And then with the night, it feels like you guys and Mark Sandman are taking it much more seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's Mark Sandman. Mark Sandman. Sorry, Mark Sandman. It feels good to say. (laughs) It does. I I prefer to say it that way. Good. Thank you for that. So... What do you guys think? More serious, more... Seems like more constructed, more composed than, you know, stuff that was maybe put together for um, for touring with or something. Like, what do you guys think of this album? <laughs> Jerome, what do you think of this album? You know, it was real special for me. I knew a little bit of what was going on that they had been recording and they had shelved stuff and that they were, you know, Billy was having trouble, you know, and they were trying a bunch of different drummers and yada, yada, yada. And I knew good and well, it wasn't Billy's fault. Things had improved relationship wise between me and Mark to where, you know, they invited me in to record. And uh, I remember I went over and played and, you know, it was fun. I don't really remember what we did. And then I think pretty early on, Mark wanted me to come in by myself and I did it, but it just did not feel good to me on any number of levels. Um, So I just calmly said, no, if you want to do this, we're going to, Billy and I are going to both play. Um, So cool. And so he went for it. And so then we started tracking, but for me i didn't know any of the songs the the songs were all very nebulous I, you know i always point out um so many ways billy and i were playing i was sort of warming up just playing this little beat and billy joined in so we were just playing i didn't have headphones on we were just playing in the room and mark suddenly came running over and plugged in the bass and put on headphones and started playing. I couldn't even hear what he was doing. This is the way that you like it. <laughs> wow. So we just kept going. I was just like, okay, we'll just hang on this groove. And we had that drum track for a long time and he he loved it, but he didn't necessarily know what he was gonna put with it. Hmm. You know, the arrangement, everything about it was sort of up for grabs. A lot of the songs were like that. I remember once we had a form we could do, we would play it over and over and over. I didn't really stick around for the finishing. I don't know if Mark would go back and choose one whole version or if he would piece things together. For me, the recording was very nebulous in a way. I remember all the really slow songs and it just, I didn't really know what was going on when we were playing it. Later, of course, I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know. You guys would track them I mean, I assume you would each take your own turn to play some stuff and then... No, no, Billy and I were playing. We were set up. We could reach out and play each other's stuff. Oh, man, that's cool. That's really cool. Some tunes, I think it's the beginning of Like a Mirror. Where it sort of fades in. Because, again, we were already playing, you know, when that 
take started. Um, I can't remember who's playing what. You know, I couldn't tell you where. Right. And also, the drums are super treated. So different. So this was all done at High and Dry, Mark's fifth floor loft space in Cambridge. And, you know, he was under a lot of pressure to come up with a record for DreamWorks. This is for DreamWorks. Hmm. Right. And uh, we had been through the process at one point and scrapped everything and started over. Hmm. This was the culmination of, of that process. Kind of a miracle in itself that this record even exists because it, it could have died a hundred times in the making. It feels like a like an album, you know, like not a bunch of songs put together, but like it was conceived to be a set of music that all goes together, right? I mean, Mark didn't know what he was doing. He was he he knew what he wanted, but he didn't know how to get there, and it was it was frustrating and it was tough for all of us who were part of it. He was trying to get a sound. He was trying to get a rhythm track that. He imagined, you know, and he, but he was committed to using the people that he was most comfortable with and had a community with, and he brought his friends in. He was constantly reshaping these sketches, and slowly but surely it kind of, it started to take shape, you know. And I think really the, Mark's biggest frustration that he seemed plagued by the most was the idea that the drums, the drums, weren't what he wanted when he wasn't hearing in his head. <laughs> and Billy really bared a lot of that brunt of, of his dissatisfaction. And I can remember being in a room with him and, and you know, I said, well, Mark, what do you want? What do you, what do you want? He says, well, I, you know, I want the combination of Jerome and Billy. <laughs> and I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're best friends. Right. You know, they, they do this all the time together you know at each other's houses why don't you just invite them in you know and it was the magic sauce because the two of them together laid this bed down and, and once you start hearing them play together it's just you know it's a fabric onto itself that you know just supported everything that came afterwards you know the way billy plays the way how spacious he is and then jerome's tonality and dexterity you know, it all came together. love to hear Rope on Fire real quick. Rare guitar. This had all been done um, uh, Prahim on Oud and Frame Drum. Right. And Mike Rivard on bass, I believe. From a modal perspective, this thing has some pretty cool it feels like Middle Eastern kind of vibes, and, and yeah. so does um, the last track, "Take Me, Take Me With You." Was this like a? Did he just sort of get interested in this and and put these out there, or? Mark turned me on to Kanawa and a lot of music 
from that part of the world. Well, Mark has a deep love of, of this music from around the world, anywhere, and I think he's adapted quickly to melodies and you know modes that were minor and certainly um, um, in the African or you know Egyptian or you know he loved he loved the, the wide net as much as possible. Dana, does this one remind you at all, or do you ever think about a connection to sketches of Spain? on this ah that's funny i hadn't thought of that uh, it's it's interesting i yeah i mean certainly the, the spanish moroccan vibe is there you know and i think miles probably spent a little more time exploring you know the, the interwoven world of, of that but uh i think we, we tap in on a on a kind of a surface area in, in, in uh-huh. a way comparatively we were still trying to figure out what the uh, what the white keys were doing on the piano <laughs> what do you guys got going on is there anything you want to plug or just Jerome I asked you this question before I'm gonna to have to ask you to say it again because <laughs> because I don't know that we had it recording before. The band is called uh, Listen to This, which as I understand it was the working title for Bitches Brew. Oh. And it's, boy, it's exploring what I like to call early electric jazz, but obviously focused around miles. I just always love the sound of the Fender Rhodes and the upright bass or the multi-keyboard sprawl of Miles and stuff. We don't have that many people in the band, but my hope is that it will become sort of like Club Delph, a very large pool of players that can be drawn from for any particular gig, which would hopefully let us play more often. <laughs> I may be the only constant, but, uh, you know, that's it's my band. So. Dana, how about you, man? What's oh, what's going on? You know, I got a um, so Billy and I both live near Portland, Maine, and um, I got a a text message from my wife saying Vapors of Morphine are playing in Portland. So I guess you can't plug that gig because that's over. That's right, it is. Uh, but uh, we have a record that we made, and Jerome is on one side, and our newest drummer Tom Airy is on the uh, other side. It's called Fear and Fantasy. Kind of worked on this for a while with Jeremy Lyons. Uh, he's put his heart and soul into this, and he's prominently featured as guitarist and singer, bass player, and writer. I ain't got no, no special writer here. Very proud of the way it came out, and to have it in vinyl is just a, is a huge plus. I think. Is that your preferred? Um media these days you want to do vinyl you know it's i I like i I think that i got really sort of dissatisfied with 
the idea of doing all this work and just having it sort of be on a on a hyperlink somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Just to, to have something in your hands would made it made it worthwhile to complete. You know. Mm-hmm. Half the record we did at Pete Weiss's studio in Vermont, Verdant Studios, and the other half we did with uh, Dave Westner and his uh, beautiful hillside house in Waltham. Well, I, I can't thank you guys enough for doing this. I mean, this has been really amazing and Thank you guys. Thank you guys. I just I wanted to say thank you for having us. Thank you for uh, setting the record straight and uh, giving us an opportunity uh, to uh, join you. I appreciate that. I never feel put upon to talk about this stuff. Of course, you know, it's obvious I can I can talk. Getting Jerome to talk about this has never been a problem. Yeah. Getting him to stop, however. Is... Hey, Billy, last music to play. Hit me. Because I, I'm going to declare it their very best, if you can believe it. Right, is it? It's time. Is it decided for morphine? It's decided by me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is decided for morphine. I'm going to say their very best for for these last three albums is the song "The Night" on the album "The Night." You're the night alive. What do you guys think? And you need to turn it up, especially if we're going to hear some of these low, low notes. It just seems to keep going lower and lower. Is this a bass sax or is it still baritone? Baritone. God. Now that is a low um, D flat. So that's the lowest, so you, you can go, man. It's really hard to play this without billing. We're sort of playing a lot in unison, but the times that we've had to play it by ourselves, for whatever reason, you both said that, you know, that's hard to do. Whereas when the two of us were there, it was just always work. It's too dark to see the landmarks And I don't want your good luck charms I mean, what an image this thing is, like bedtime story and it's nighttime and scary stories and I just... Somebody somebody figured out the whole super quiet vocal that he does at the very end. Somebody came up with the entire transcription of that and when you read it, you can tell they were right, but how they ever heard it, I loved it. Right. What do you guys think? Did I get it wrong? I think that maybe honorary, you guys should really declare their very best for these last three albums. And the joke can end with me, you know, starting there. But like, I'd like to hear what you guys really think. Very best from these last three albums. Do you have a pick? I mean, it's kind of unfair. Let you go, Jerome. You can go first. I I like this. I also like um, Way We Met. I think that was one that I did on my own just with Mark. Uh, souvenir. All right, Dana, your turn. 
what are the rules again? The cure for pain to, or yes, like swimming and the night. Yeah, you could, you know, I think we can bend whatever rules might have been in place. <laughs> I would love to hear you declare their very best. I, I need, I need rules. Okay, need, well, let's... I need boundaries. This episode is the last three studio albums. Yeah, you can, you can do what you want, but if you want the rules, go yes, like swimming in the night. All right, of those three, I should pick my... I'm just going to go with what I've been doing, picking my favorite of those three. Sure, yeah, go for it. Free love. I love that. Unknown on the world of old, you're the sounds I never heard before. Off the map where the wild things grow. So get in touch, everyone. You can find their very best on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, and our website, theirverybest.com. You can email us at contact at theirverybest. I, d- I do not invite you to tell us what we got wrong on this episode. <laughs> no. But usually you can write wrong at their very best and tell us about our mistakes. I think I got some things wrong. We'll be doing more of these, so beware. Watch out. We'll be offering more unsolicited wrong opinions in the near future. I'm Bill. And I'm Waldron. And our huge, huge, most big, giant thanks to Dana Colley and Jerome Dupree for joining us. And thanks for listening to their very best. You're the pink.